HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. For more information, visit www.rt11.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host Kathy Arroway. And uh, it's after Memorial Day; it's hot now. And in Brooklyn, um, you might be wondering if you can grow some things in your backyard, fire escape, patch, or perhaps the roof. Um, if you have a uh, hankering to do that, or just want to find out some more examples of that whole rooftop gardening, farming. Um, Endeavor. Um, I have a guest on today who has written a whole book on the subject. It is called Eat Up, the Inside Scoop on Rooftop Agriculture. It's Lauren Mandel. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you, Kathy? I'm good, thanks. So congratulations on this book. This is a, a really amazing kind of like document of a time and place and a very, uh, a very you know, excite, exciting um you know, a moment in history for food production, urban food production in, in, in um, you know, in, in general. So uh, what inspired you to write Eat Up? So I started thinking about rooftop agriculture around four years ago, and I started doing a little bit of research on the subject and realized pretty quickly that there was no book that exclusively talked about rooftop agriculture. And I thought this was a little bit funny. And I figured, hey, why not try to write the first book myself? And so I started um, conducting interviews with the leaders in the field, so rooftop farmers, rooftop gardeners, CEOs, volunteer coordinators, all the folks who make this their life. Um, and I started researching them and visiting rooftop farms and gardens around North America, uh, photographing the various places and people that were involved, and um, the whole research initiative really blossomed into a book, uh, which was published in April. So, 
Yeah, that's awesome. And it's surprising it was only four years ago. I know you have a master's in landscape architecture, and you're currently also a rooftop agriculture specialist at Roof Meadow, where you design green roofs. So that's pretty yes, exciting. Yes, my company, yeah, it's great. My company has been designing green roofs uh, all around the country for about 16 years now. And so rooftop agriculture is our new area of interest. Very cool. Um, I, I have a feeling that there will be more people excited and inspired to to start that up um, as we go on, because the examples that you've um, presented here in this book, I mean, there's so many I didn't know about, like so many longstanding rooftop gardens. Um, sometimes they're above a restaurant. Um, sometimes they're run by the community. Sometimes they're run by individuals. So, you know, it's really, it really is a very expansive uh, project that you did. How many, how many farms did you go interview just in, in America uh, total? Um, well, there are about eight different cities that appear in the book, and um, I investigated a lot of rooftop farms, some of which are in the book, some of which are not. Some of them are actually just covered um, on my blog, right. so um, you... which is all about rooftop agriculture. But the interesting thing that I found is that all different uh, people are interested in rooftop agriculture for all different reasons. And like you said, they are building these farms and gardens on top of restaurants and hotels and warehouses, office buildings all over the place um, to achieve all sorts of different uh, goals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you say in the beginning, I found this really interesting um, in your sort of uh, intros chapter, um, you know, it, the practice of rooftop agriculture should not be viewed as a cure-all for hunger, um, nor should the assumption be reached that it will dominate food production in all cities. Um, so what, what value, you know, does it add then, do you think? Well, a, a food system, whether you're in a rural area or an urban area, food systems are very complex. Mm-hmm. And they're very multifaceted. And so the way that I view rooftop agriculture within the food system is that it plays uh, it, it plays an increasingly key role um, in producing local food within urban environments. But um, it's important for everybody to remember that uh, rural agriculture will always be very important in sustaining cities, mm-hmm. um, as well as urban agriculture on the ground and on fire safe, like you said, in all different mm-hmm. places. So um, the, the the thing to keep in mind is that um, a strong food system is a robust food system, and so the more ways in which we can grow food, the healthier and stronger it will remain. So, vari- so you know, variety is key here. Make sure that all exactly so many different parts. So, if one part falls, you're not in trouble. You're not exactly. Dependent. And even if you look at food that's grown on rooftops in places like Brooklyn um, and you know the rest of North America, it's there's still a diversity of different methods right. that are being used totally. on rooftops, which is pretty interesting. Um, so I'm going to play a devil's advocate again. Um, <laughs> so given all the challenges of growing things on a roof, you know, um, mm-hmm. p- potential issues of, you know, soil quality, um, why, why wouldn't we just focus on growing out in the country where there's lots of space and, like, real estate is much cheaper and, you know, <laughs> that's where you can really grow things um, in large quantities? Yeah. No, that's a good question, and you can grow large quantities of food out in the country. The problem comes, um, one of the problems comes in shipping that food long distances into cities. In places like New York, the food has to travel quite a distance 
in order to actually reach consumers. And so by cutting down on the distance that food has to travel, you're saving money on transportation. You're using fewer fossil fuels for that transportation. You're decreasing traffic and air pollution for the food to get to the cities. And then when you're growing food close to home within your community and you're buying that food, you're supporting your local economy. So you're keeping money uh, within the local community. And you're also eating food that's a lot fresher. And uh, one of the advantages to eating fresh food is that it has, uh, in in many cases, many types of produce has a higher nutritional content um, because it tends to lose its nutritional value over time um, after harvest. And then also some people think that it just tastes better because it's so fresh. And it also might have a, a longer shelf life, so to speak. Um, yes. You know, like especially mm-hmm. little baby greens that are they're so popular these days. Um, yeah. What, so and one of the other advantages, something that a lot of the restaurants are doing around the country that are growing food on the roof, is that they're growing um, special types of crop varieties that you can't really buy anywhere else. And oh, so yeah. they're growing really interesting types of heirloom tomatoes and and other types of crops um, that are very delicious but perhaps don't transport well or don't okay. last for very long after harvest. So that's another great benefit. That's a pro. Um, mm-hmm. So what would you say are some of the best crops to grow on roofs? I, I know that there's lots of different systems, so uh, you could you could go crazy into exploring or explaining that too. But in general, <laughs> is there any in general like best types of crops? So a lot of the rooftop farms are having luck with hot peppers. That seems to be mm. something that's very popular. Um, not only are they relatively foolproof, but also um, the farms are able to use small amounts of the hot peppers in uh, what's called value-added products that they sell, so things like hot sauce and chili sauce and oh, okay. um, balsa, things like that. So you can use a small amount of a crop that's grown right. on a roof mixed with other crops that maybe are grown out in the country, um, but you can still brand the product and market it as a rooftop product. Right, like um, a large sack then, of onions or potatoes, right? Right, right, yeah. exactly. Okay. Um, so a lot of the rooftop farms that are involved with the hot peppers are soil-based row farms. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, a row farm is basically a farm uh, that grows its crops in crop rows mm-hmm. on top of the roof. So it's sort of like uh, a farm that you would see out in the country, but on top of a roof. So Another Eagle Street or farm, Brooklyn Grange, our neighbors here, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, Eagle Street was the Eagle Street rooftop farm was the first rooftop row farm um, in New York City, which is pretty great. Um, another approach to growing food on rooftops is in hydroponic greenhouses. And the people that are involved with this type of production, like Gotham Greens, which is also your neighbor in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. um, probably won't be growing chili peppers. They'll be growing a lot of microgreens and herbs. So Lettuces, plants that do yeah. a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Lettuces. So uh, different types of crops that do really well in a hydroponic environment. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot more about hydroponics. I'm a big fan of Gotham Greens, too. And it sounds like there's just some very unique differences um, between the types of crops that you want to grow for those. Um, Exactly. And also, um, in terms of yields, hydroponic mm -hmm. greenhouse is pretty much the way to go in order to grow the maximum amount of produce in a small amount of space. And I'm just going to read a sentence, if that's okay, from my book uh, about Gotham Greens, um, which just says that, Uh, Gotham Greens produces 20 to 30 times the yields of typical ground-level field production while using 20 times less water. And that's a pretty incredible 
um, fact there. I think that you can grow so much food in such a small amount of space while being saving water. Um, sustainably minded. Yeah, and using and using less water. It's really incredible. So just to back up, like hydroponic means um, it is grown in a reservoir of water, correct? Um, so that it's, the, it's the plant that- is constantly given a source of of water. Uh, yes, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, hydroponics is essentially growing food in a soil-less environment, so an mm-hmm. environment without soil. So there is a lot of water in the system um, that's usually infused with nutrients. So it, the plants are sort of grown through a nutrient solution, and mm-hmm. then they root into some kind of other material like rock right. wool or, or something that's not soil-based. So that's why you don't have to water it all the time and hence save water. Um, so I've heard um, I've heard some you know, just uh, opinions about hydroponic versus in-soil crops, and they tend to have a different taste. Have you heard this as well? Um, like they I don't have, have heard this, yeah. and I've talked to some of the hydroponic producers um, who would vehemently disagree with yes. that statement. I think that... I, I've tasted <laughs> really great lettuce, so I can't need. really say <laughs> from them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I've, I've heard that before. Um, I think that uh, it might be worth it for your listeners to go out there and, and sample some food that's grown on a roof in a hydroponic <gasps> greenhouse and some that's grown in the soil and see what they think for themselves. That would be so much fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, do a little taste test. But I guess for some yeah. things with like a crisp, you know, like romaine or something, you don't really need, uh, you, you want it to be crisp. I think that's the first and mm-hmm. foremost thing um, rather than, you know, like that's the whole point of it <laughs> rather than <Right. laughs> it's a benign tasting uh, green. So... Yeah. Right, and I think the most important thing is that it'll taste good if it's fresh. Right, and if it's you know, if you're living in New York, it's, you can't get any fresher than growing it on your own roof. Right, interesting. So, what was um, the most, cr- what was the craziest rooftop farm that you personally saw and talked about in this book? I have my vote, but <laughs> just. Uh... <laughs> um, so the, probably the kookiest one that I saw was in Sarasota, Florida. I visited a gentleman there named Vincent Desberger who um, has an open-air hydroponic farm mm. on top of uh, a glass-blowing studio. What? And, wow. Um, yeah, it, it was pretty, um, pretty interesting. I had never seen anything like it. Um, so that one was pretty unique. And um, other than that, one of the farms that I'd actually really like to see that I have not had the pleasure of visiting in person is um, a rooftop farm, one of the oldest ones in North America, on top of um, a hotel and resort in Vancouver, British Columbia, called um, the Fairmont Waterfront. And this is a farm that grows a wide variety of crops for use within the hotel's restaurants and Mm -hmm. tea service. Um, And they grow everything from rhubarb to gooseberries. Um, and fig trees, you know, fig on the roof, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah. Those are things I associate with, like, the, you know, the wild, you know, and, like, you would mm-hmm. forage for them in, like, this un- completely not cultivated land at all. Yeah. That's what I yeah, think Yeah, no, of. it's very interesting. Huh. That's crazy. So people, you know, right right now in the rooftop agriculture um, industry, people are experimenting with all different kinds of crops and all different kinds of, exper- uh, all different kinds of production methods. Um, and so it's, it's really a time for innovation and, um, and research, and, you know, it's, it's very exciting. Very cool. Um, well, I'm going to chime in with some of my, th- my favorite ones, but, um, and I can't wait to hear more of your expertise. Um, we're just going to cut to a quick little uh, break. We'll be right back chatting with Lauren Mandel. The following program has been brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. 
From the moment Route 11 potato chips dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate. An incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 Potato Chips believes comfort food should be just that. Know where your food comes from. For more information, visit rt11.com. You're listening to Same Old, Same Old by the California Honey Drops on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Keep it locked. With Lauren Mandel from, sorry, the the author of Eat Up, the inside scoop on rooftop agriculture. So, Lauren, I have to admit, I am sitting underneath a, a rooftop of greens right now here at Roberta's. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. That's where, that's that's how we roll <laughs> here in Brooklyn. <laughs> that's excellent. Um, yeah, it's it's very exciting to um, kind of see so many different examples, like we were talking about, of you know hydroponics in soil. You know, right right here in my neighborhood. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, I was really inspired though. I was going to mention this, um, this farm and I lost the page, <laughs> but I oh, got it. Okay. So I never thought, you know, I've, I've actually grown, you know, had some chickens, um, in the city for a little while, dabbled in that. And I have friends who have rooftop chickens as well, but, um, I never really thought too much about livestock. And I was really amazed to hear that a lot of people are doing that. Um, there is a restaurant that you went to investigate in Wisconsin called Al Johnson's mm-hmm. Swedish Restaurant. And he has this beautiful photo, oh, by the way, of, uh, what are they called? Goats. They're, they're just beautiful. I, I didn't even know what to call them for a second. I thought they were like, you know, <laughs> a reindeer or something. But goats grazing on a roof. Is that right? Yes, it's true. It's true. It's, this is a, a pretty interesting uh, rooftop farm. These goats, he actually, Al Johnson, brought them to the roof um, in order to mow the roof's lawn. And um, <laughs> what I mean by that is that he has a green roof, which is covered in sod, um, and he thought that it was uh, not the best idea to lug a lawnmower up to his roof, and so he decided to bring in some goats in order to mow it, right. and he had to train them in order to not jump off the roof. Um, oh and it gosh. turned into quite a tourist attraction. People come there from all over the country in order to see the goats and eat the food within his restaurant. And, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty brilliant marketing strategy to do <laughs> this, and it's also uh, a good way of keeping his restaurant nice and cool by having a sod roof. And it's fascinating, though, because um, in your book you describe that um, he, he's from Sweden, and typically um, mm-hmm. sod farms... Um, on top of the roof for a great way to moderate the temperature of the building inside. So, so exactly. having a, like a little layer of, of nice soil um, was helpful for that purpose too. And it sounds like you know instead of getting a lawnmower, this is what goats are traditionally good for: is keeping the, <laughs> keeping the grass clipped. 
Um, it's true. It's true. Yeah, he definitely um, selected the sod first and the goat second <laughs> in order to keep the, the temperature cool within the restaurant. Well, that was that was so much fun to read about. Um, so, you know, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges right now um, for a rooftop farm? And I know from city to city, like legal legalities change. Um, but mm-hmm. say say in you know an ideal world, it's okay to and the building is safe. Or actually, is right. that one of the biggest challenges? Figuring out how yes. safe a building is. Exactly. So yeah. one of the biggest challenges is um, the very first step, which is figuring out what building on which to build your rooftop farm or garden. Um, if it's not the building that you actually live in, let's say you're looking for a commercial site for your farm um, and you need a half an acre, an acre, even two acres, um, it can be a little bit challenging to find the right building. You need to look for one that is structurally sound. And mm-hmm. for that, you have to hire a structural engineer to come in and do an investigation, figure out that everything's okay. Um, and then you have to you also have to make sure that uh, what you're doing is um, approved of by the building owner and that they're mm-hmm. supportive of it. And that can be a little bit tricky as well. Um, but I have a feeling that it'll become less and less tricky as more people start to hear about rooftop agriculture and right. um, become more familiar with it. Is that something um, you that... need to make? Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, is that something you do with your work? Is help ascertain um, whether a roof is good for? for setting it up in the first place? So, yeah, so we have mm-hmm. um, engineers at my office, but they're actually civil engineers, not structural engineers. Mm-hmm. And so we have a couple of structural engineers uh, around the country who we tend to partner with or recommend to okay. our clients. But where we come in is usually um, after the building has been selected, okay. um, we're there to really work with the client in order to design the, the rooftop farm or oh. the green roof, whatever the case may be. Cool. Okay, so the fun stuff. Yeah, and I guess... I- it's yeah. tricky yeah. And to figure out these things out. That, I'm sorry, say that again? No worries. I was just going to say, I would imagine it's very tricky to figure all these things out. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it can be. You know, that's one of the biggest differences between growing food on the ground and growing right. food in a city on a roof is that it's hard to do it um, just yourself. You sort of need a whole team in order to move the project forward. And so usually what I tell people is that the team consists of a structural engineer, um, a green roof designer or landscape architect, someone who has experience on rooftops. Um, oftentimes you need to work with the uh, waterproofing provider. So oh. this is uh, the company that provides the waterproofing layer on the roof. That's important that they're, they, they know what's going on. Uh-huh. Um, and then, of course, you need a farmer. If there's a restaurant involved, you need to get the, uh, the chef involved and um, you know, it's important that people also think about the economic aspect of this. So sometimes these big farms will have um, a CEO who has a business, uh, who has a background in business, um, and, and he'll be a, or she will be a crucial part of the team as well. Yeah. So you have to really do your homework and get, get a really good sense on whether or not this is a good, good roof to, to start out with. Yeah, exactly. And what I found in my research is that it seems like a lot of folks tend to approach rooftop agriculture from a single area of expertise. So maybe mm. their expertise is farming, right. maybe it's architecture, um, you know, maybe it's that they are an entrepreneur. Um, and the farms that I've seen that succeed are the ones that understand um, the other areas of expertise that are also required in order to make this work. Absolutely. Um, are, you, are you working on any exciting projects currently? Aside from promoting I, the book? <laughs> yeah, yes, I am. I'm working with um, a client in the Brooklyn area who is um, 
in the process of finding and negotiating a rooftop on which to build uh, what may be the largest rooftop farm in the country. Oh, wow. Um, that's pretty exciting, but I don't want to give too much information about that. Ah, I don't think anything. Two acres? <laughs> um, and then and I'm working half? with another client okay. in Philadelphia, which is where I live and where my company is based. We're working with uh, a public high school called South Philadelphia High School. Mm-hmm. And they are in the midst right now of a crowdfunding campaign through a website that's called projectsity.com. And we are hoping to raise funds um, initially to develop a greening master plan for the campus, which will include a half-acre educational rooftop farm. Oh, my gosh. Um, and then, yeah, it's so very exciting. Really and exciting. then hopefully we'll uh, be able to build that soon. And that's the website, or Projecta, what was it called? Projecta something? It's, it's called Projectsity. It's P R O. J E X I T Y dot okay. com, and awesome. we have I think about uh, roughly six days left in our crowdfunding campaign for phase one of the project. So, um, if any of your listeners are interested in checking out projectcity dot com, then they can um, donate and be part of this amazing project. I have a feeling they will, and I hope so. So that's great. Um, yeah, very exciting work. Um, so I guess that's about all the time that we have for today, but. Um, Again, it's a really amazing uh, study that you've provided. And, hey, judging on how things go, thank maybe you. there's going to be a sequel. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. And I, can I just say, um, yeah. if anybody's interested in learning about um, rooftop agriculture initiatives near them, my blog is eatupag.wordpress.com, which is E-A-T-U-P-A-G.wordpress.com. Eatup. Ag. Got it. Eat up ag. Yep. Perfect. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. And um, thanks, everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.